Tonight, we are going to talk about a subject that is highly controversial in the modern day church. It's a subject that is not taught enough, especially with the 21st century churches and the route that they're going, um, the ear tickling, the hyper uh, gospel of grace that has been preached amongst many. So this topic is something that most leaders in today's society steer away from, but it is something that is very, very current and something that we need to understand and know. And that topic is topic regarding the end times. In fact, what we're going to be going over in this teaching series is titled The Beast, The Rapture, and the Great Tribulation. Of course, three areas, as I said, are topics that is rarely talked about. When you put it on a percentage level of the church, it's probably teeter-tottering at between 5 and 10% that even talk about the fact or teach or even begin to prepare the fact that we are currently living in the last days. The subject was more popular for our 20th century leaders, who the majority of them have gone home to be with the Lord. But as we have crossed over into, an, into the 21st century, the hyper grace gospel and the, the teaching of operating in signs and wonders has overtaken the, the fact that we are currently living in the last of the last days before Christ's return. And so we're going to go over these topics and subjects tonight, um, highly controversial, which is what I like to do. I like to challenge people, and I can guarantee you that this will challenge your mind, and it'll challenge even your soul. The good thing about something being challenging to us is that it'll push us to press in, push us to, to find and seek the truth. And everything that we're going to go over tonight will be scripturally based. As far as the topics of the beast, the, the rapture and the great tribulation, it is something that many of us, including myself from my past, have been taught on based on other people's um, beliefs, even ideas, ideologies. But even I found for myself that going into the scriptures and reading them and studying both the Old and the New Testament, including the prophets, regarding the end of days, we have found that a lot of the things, not all, but there are a lot of things that have been taught to us through books, DVDs, videos, what have you, sometimes just straight from our pulpit, is just simply not backed by scripture. So I'm going to be debunking quite a few things in this teaching. And that's why I said it is going to be controversial and both challenging. And I'm not saying you have to agree with everything that I'm saying and teaching tonight, but what I challenge every one of you who are listening to do, besides take notes, 
is that you will go into the word of God yourself. Because again, everything that I'm going to tell you is going to be backed by scripture. And that you go into the word of God yourself and find it. The scripture tells us that we are to study to show ourselves a proof. And in the 13 years that I have been in ministry, I have found this to be one of the most challenging things in the Western church. People simply are not in their words. And you cannot have understanding if you are not in your word. If you, you cannot allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and give you revelation if you are not in the word. The word is alive and powerful. It is also our sword. It is our offense against Satan and the wiles of the enemy. And so we must learn our word. But we find that today I have found that there are, there are cases where the devil tends to know more scripture than some of the people that are sitting in the church. I have even encountered leaders, many over the years, who have not even read the full Bible. They haven't even read the entire 66 books. And my question to them has always been, how is it that you can lead if you don't know what you're leading them into? It's just not possible. So this is what we're going to go in today, into this evening, I should say. And again, I challenge you to open your word. Make sure you get pen and paper to take down notes. It's very important. Make sure you write down the scriptures that we're going to go over. That's extremely important. And we just pray that the Lord will open all the eyes and the ears, and the hearts of everyone who is listening to these teachings this evening. So we're going to start off with the beast. I want to start there because, well, the beast is alive today and well and waiting in the works to make his debut. The beast, otherwise known as the Antichrist, I'm giving him the title that we typically in the 21st century, like to give him. But the beast himself actually is not so much an antichrist, even though the spirit of him is against Christ, but he's more so like a pseudo Christ, one who comes in Christ form. The word, the Greek word Christos or Christ means savior or in, in Hebrew, Messiah, Mashiach. Um, one who comes to save, all right? He is this revolutionary person, but he by spirit is really anti-Christ. His spirit is anti-Christ, but he presents himself as a type of pseudo-Christ. And so he has been giving the official title of the anti-Christ, even though the scripture tells us that anti-Christ is a spirit that walks among many people. But I'm going to start off by talking about the who is this beast who is mentioned in both the Old and the New Testament. And so we're going to start off in the Old Testament just because I like to do things in order. And the Old Testament is before the New Testament. So that is where we're going to start tonight. The first scripture that we're going to go into to talk about who is the beast 
the first scripture, and we're going to cross-reference some scriptures, and I will make sure that I uh, repeat them so that you can jot them down. But the first scripture we're going to go into is Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to start off at verse 19. Now, I'm going to try to avoid uh, reading too much scripture just so that I don't lose you. But I will reference other scriptures just so that you'll know. So we're in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to pick up at verse 19. I'm reading, reading in the New King James Version, but I need to just first say this. We're going to start off by talking about Daniel's interpretation of the fourth beast. But I need you to understand that the entire chapter and the beginning of the chapter, he has a vision about four beasts. Okay, so when you have that time, you can go back starting at verse one and you can begin reading about the four beasts that Daniel sees. But we're not going to talk about the first, second and third beasts. We're going to talk about the fourth beast because the fourth beast that Daniel sees represents who we like to call today the Antichrist. So we're going to start that off at verse 19, which is after he had the vision of all four beasts. So verse 19 opens up by saying, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet and the 10 horns that were on its head and the other horn, which came up before which the three fell, namely the horn, which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the most high. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So we're going to start there. So that is Daniel 7 verses 19. And we just stopped at verse 20. Two. We're going to continue though, okay? But we're going to first start off with this. So, so Daniel sees this fourth beast. He's horrible looking. He's exceedingly disgusting. Let's put it that way. He's different from the previous three beasts that he saw, which were in the form of a lion, a bear, and a leopard. Again, you can go back into the beginning of the chapter and see that. Thus, he said, we're continuing in verse 23. Now, who is thus, he said? This is um, the interpretation that the angel has given Daniel. Thus, he said, verse 23, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom and another one shall rise after them and he shall be different from the first ones and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the most high, shall persecute the saints of the most high and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half. Okay, so we know that this fourth beast and Daniel's 
vision represents a fourth kingdom. So the first thing we need to understand from Daniel's portion is that the beast, each beast, which he saw for, represented a kingdom. But when we talk about the fourth beast and it had 10 horns, but then there's this little horn that rises up. And again, you can find this in the beginning of chapter three and it grows two eyes and it, it speaks blasphemy and pompous meaning prideful, arrogant things. Okay. So it's like it ruled this beast. So, so what we have is a system, a governance, an empire even, if you want to use that, okay? And there is a system that will, will be manifested and is being manifested even now as we speak, that will be manifested in the soon to come, Latin, we're in the latter days, but soon to come days ahead, that will be ruled by this little horn. Okay, so the beast itself is a system, but then there is a person who will rule that system, that government, that kingdom, that empire, whichever word you want to use. And that one person who is called the little horn, or as we like to give the title, the Antichrist, is going to rule and set up a kingdom. Okay. And so the angel of the Lord from verses 23 on to 25 gives Daniel an interpretation of why the fourth beast is going to be different. OK, and not only that, he devours the whole earth. So it tells you that the beast kingdom is going to impact the entire world. It's going to impact the entire earth. The kingdom that is going to be established through this fourth beast will literally be a global governance. It will be a global system, but it will not be a global system of peace, as we see. It will be a global system that will devour the entire earth. So something that is derogatory and negative. Okay, and in addition to that, it, we are also told that this B system that will rise will have 10 kings, okay? And we're going to talk about that a little bit further. So it will have the 10 horns, the, the angel of the Lord is telling Daniel, represents 10 kings, okay? And we'll see that again in another chapter in Revelation. And but there will be that that little horn that will rise and subdue. Now, this scripture is very interesting because this is the only scripture referencing to the beast and his king, the beast and the kingdom that it says that there will be three kings that will be subdued. In other words, he saw because in the beginning of the chapter, he sees these 10 horns, but then three are plucked up. So there are three that are removed from the 10 which leaves seven, and then he, the little horn is number eight. And I want to point that out because that is very important to document or note or notate because we will see that number referenced again in Revelation, okay? So there were 10 kings, three get plucked up, right? And then there are seven, right? 10 minus three is seven. Okay, we're doing like a little bit of mathematics here. And then there is the little horn would represent the eight. Okay. So make sure you document that. All right. And 
and so he is arrogant. He is pompous. And notice that his words are spoken not so much to the nations or to the people, but it is directly against the Most High, referencing the Most High. We're talking about Elohim. We're talking about the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all. So his his arrogance is directed towards heaven, okay? But also, too, here's another characteristic. He will persecute the saints of the Most High. So those who are who are the children of God, the children, the followers of Christ, the 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 Christians, let's say. And I want to say, and I want to use the word Christians loosely because everyone who says Lord, Lord, as we see in Matthew 7 does not enter into the kingdom. But those who are truly Christ followers sold out, um, they will be persecuted by this beast system and its leader, the little horn. But not only, which is only interesting, interesting, will they be persecuted, but it actually tells us that they will be subdued. They will be overcome for a season by this beast. Okay, so then it says that the saints will be given into his hand, meaning that they're not going to escape in a sense. They're going to be given over to be persecuted, even murdered or put to death in this instance. And it will be for a time and times and a half, okay, which represents three and a half years. And we'll come back to the length of time in the minute, okay? So so let's move on. So that's the first scripture, uh, Daniel 7, 19.25, as to talk about the beast reign. Now let's move on to another scripture that I want to talk about. Um, and and that is, and we're going to jump around now because we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the length of his reign in just a minute. But let's talk about something else regarding the characteristics of this beast, this beast system, this antichrist and his world dominated governance that will come to pass very shortly. So let's go into into Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to start off at verse 1, okay? So this is now John. Now, we went from Daniel to John, and we know, I know most of you know, John, the apostle John, and, and Daniel the prophet um, had very parallel, their visions of what God gave them for the time of the last days and the reign of the beast is very similar. They are parallel to each other. Okay, so we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. The interesting thing that I will note and document is that Daniel is a prophet, John being the apostle, both of them were given these visions during a time of exile, which I find is very interesting because Daniel was in the, he was in captivity of Babylon Um, that started with Babylon, that also crossed over into Medo-Persia later on. But the point is, is that Judah or the Jews, they were in captivity when Daniel was shown how the end would come. And then the apostle John was actually exiled to the island of Patmos um, during the reign of Rome after um, after, uh, Jerusalem was sieged and the temple was burnt down. 
Um, and so both of them were in a sense of captivity when the Lord gave them these revelations of the end of days. And I just wanted to put that note in there. So let's go into Revelation chapter 13, starting at verse one. And it reads, then I, and this is John speaking, then I stood on, on the land, or excuse me, on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns. And one of his horns, and on, excuse me, and on his horns, 10 crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like a bear, and his mouth was like a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? Now, I'm going to pause right there. We're going to pick up in a second. Let's kind of break this down um, a little bit on this. So, so first of all, John has this vision and he's standing on the sand near a sea, near a sea and ocean, what have you. But he sees this beast rising up out of the sea. And that is very symbolic. Um, if you know anything about interpretation of dreams, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna veer off too much, but when we see a sea or an ocean, it actually represents the world. Okay? So so he sees two different types of beasts, which we're not going to go into. There's one that comes up out of the earth, um, representing the false prophet, having uh, two horns like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. But then the one that comes up out of the sea. So the seas, what brings sea, what is the seas represent? Bringing nations together. People cross seas, cross oceans. Okay, before we gave the word term ocean, we, we, we called them all seas. Okay, and we cross seas to what to go to bring nations together. The the sea separate the nations, so to speak. So this beast that comes up out of the sea, as John is seeing in his in his vision, is uh, represents that his kingdom once again will be a global governance, a global reign. Uh, of many nations, many tongues, many cultures, many um, racial um, diversity, all of that. Okay, so again, con that confirms what we see back in Daniel chapter 7 um, and verse, uh, excuse me, verse 23 that talks about he would, he would have these kingdom, this kingdom that would devour the entire earth. Okay, so Again, he sees this beast rising up out of the sea. The sea represents world of multicultural, multinational. All right. Now, he has this beast that, that John sees in chapter 13 of Revelation has seven heads and 10 horns. Okay. So remember, um, the beast that Daniel sees, the fourth beast that he sees has 10 horns. Right. 
And so, and, and, and so remember that I said, we're going to keep that. We're going to remember all of that. Okay. And so there were 10 horns on the fourth beast and Daniel. Okay. And then John's beast has, um, seven heads, but 10 horns. Remember I talked about that number seven, right? That it would be significant. And we're going to ignore, and we're going to continue to talk about that, um, later and we'll, and that's why I want you to note this. All right. And then, of course, upon those ten horns were ten crowns. All right. And they wore a blasphemous name, but we're not told what that name is. What I want to point out that I feel is very significant um, about this, this beast system, again, since we're talking about the beast and his reign in this first part of this teaching tonight. The interesting thing is that the beast that John sees, it says in verse two of chapter 13 of Revelation, now the beast which I saw, again, I'm reading it, was like a leopard, his feet were like a bear and his mouth was that of a lion. Now, I find that to be very interesting because when you go back into the beginning of Daniel chapter seven, there were four beasts that Daniel sees, right? And the first beast that Daniel mentions in chapter seven, starting at verse three, was that it was like a lion. Then the second beast he references was like a bear. And the third beast that he talks about was like a leopard. So what's so interesting, and then the fourth beast is just this dreadful, terrible thing. But what's so interesting is that what John sees is like parallel again to what Daniel sees because his one beast that he sees has all three, or I should say all four characteristics of the four beasts that Daniel saw in chapter seven. So again, representing this global governance that's there because the beasts that Daniel talks about in chapter seven are represented empires and, um, and nations. And we're not going to go too far off. And they actually did a teaching on the book of Daniel um, not too long ago, a year or so ago. Um, representing which with who they they represented empires um, that match uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he has in Daniel chapter two. So we're talking about uh, Greece, Medo Persia, uh, Babylon, and um, and Rome. And I didn't say that in in the proper order, but but you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so but this. This in Revelation 13 um, represents all of that. So again, it's more proof that this beast that comes out in the last days, he has the system is a global governance, a global rule. It is a combination of some of everything. Okay. And that sense. All right. So then going down again to verse three, what does it tell us that the dragon gave him his power? So we'll find the dragon in Revelation chapter 12. The dragon flat out is Satan. All right. It is Satan. It represents Satan. Um, we find it interesting because the people who are represented of the dragon today is the Orient. And we think of China and the dragon or just the Orient period and not just China itself. But no, we're not talking about China and, and this isn't symbolic in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. Um, this is a representation himself of Satan. Satan, another name for Satan is the dragon or the serpent. Okay, so we're told that the beast 
and his system, his governance, right? Remember, it is two and one. It is a system that is ruled by a particular leader, but he gets his power from where? From Satan himself. It says the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority, not just authority, but great authority. Why? Because he will devour the whole earth as we find in Daniel chapter seven. And then something significant happens. It says, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. So there's a lot of um, speculation in regards to this. Um, if we look at some of the old uh left behind type of movies. Um, they or Thief in the Night, they've always portrayed that this this Antichrist leader would this beast leader would have a type of uh, assassination attempt on his life, possibly shot in the head, some type of mortal head wound um, that would that would lead people to believe that he would die. But he doesn't die. He mysteriously um, returns. Okay. Now that could be very true that 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 can happen just like that. But what I want you to also know is that it doesn't necessarily mean that a particular person is wounded, but also perhaps a leadership, a leadership that seems like it is fatally wounded, that it's been taken out, that there's no more of this particular person in his regime, so to speak. We think he's dead, gone, nowhere to be found anymore. And when I say dead and gone, I mean like his regime, his reign is over. But then mysteriously out of nowhere, he's resurrected in the, so to speak, and brought back on the scene. The Bible tells us that the, all the world marveled and followed the beast, okay? So they marveled that his wound was healed, okay? So again, this could be a physical thing because it doesn't tell us specifically. And the reason why we have to also understand this metaphorically is because we're talking about a beast, which represents a system, a kingdom, all right? And the horns that represent these kings. So there's this symbolic representation in giving this definition. So that's the reason why we can say that, yes, perhaps um, this will be an assassination attempt upon this particular world leader. Or, or we have to also understand, because it's not specific, okay? And because it's symbolic, it's a symbolic vision that John has had. We have to understand too that it could also mean that this particular this particular leader was that of perhaps in previous power and it seemed as though he his power came to an end his kingdom his regime his what have you his presidency whatever the case may be came to an end and that he was to be no more and somehow, mysteriously, but we know it's not a mystery, he comes back into power and shocks the whole world. 
Okay, and and, uh, and here's another thing for the world to marvel at this beast, this leader that he is, that's been given power from directly from Satan himself. This person is going to be someone who the world is going to love. Now, is that every single person on the planet? No, of course, there's not going to be every single person on the planet that is going to love this this person, this antichrist, this beast. And his system. No, but this person is very popular. He is popular amongst people, amongst nations, amongst leaders. He crosses cultural barriers, national barriers. And he's looked at as someone who is popular, well-liked, well-spoken, well-kept. Okay. But again, that doesn't mean everybody's going to like him, but he doesn't have to have everyone to like him. He just has to have enough of the world leaders to like him, to keep him and allow him to to be placed into the position of a world leader. Okay. All right. So moving on, it says, so in verse four, we're going over again. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Isn't this significant? So we know that the dragon represents Satan. So in, and, and worshiping Satan or the beast, they are worshiping Satan directly who has given this beast his power and his authority that will govern the entire earth. Okay. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So he will be this military figure. It doesn't mean he doesn't have to have a military background, but he will be looked at as just a strong individual who is in intelligent, who seems to have the answers to world issues, um, a great orator. He, he will be a great orator. And we've had many types of, of pseudo-Christ or anti-Christ, as you like to say, in the past. Uh, one of them, again, was Hitler. Hitler was someone that, now, did everyone like Hitler? No, but it didn't matter. Enough people liked Hitler. Hitler was a great orator and he was able to convince and move the people. He was passionate. He was intelligent. And when he spoke, he moved the hearts of the people. Of course, the heart was destruction, which led to not only parts of World War II, but also the Holocaust. Okay, which was where, uh, what was it, 660 or 6 million Jews were murdered, slaughtered, okay? But but at the moment, the people weren't thinking about that. They thought he was this God-like person. So this, and there were others, people we could talk about, uh, people like uh, Joseph Stalin. Um, we can talk, in fact, Stalin killed more people than Hitler killed, but we don't talk about him as much. We could talk about people like Napoleon. Um, there have been many times, even going back to the time of the Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, these godlike people who were looked at, um, who moved the hearts of people, but yet their, their intentions was that of, of demonic um, reign, demonic power, demonic uh, goals and intentions, okay? And not anything that was of the light or of the truth of God or Jesus Christ, okay? So going on to verse five, um, let's continue. And he was given the mouth to speak great things and blasphemies. So this, again, once again, this beast, Antichrist, pseudo-Christ, 
will be a great orator. When he speaks, he is able to mesmerize, move, and even control the, the, the crowds, the population, okay? They are moved by his words, all right? So he was given a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Very, very significant. Because again, that is parallel once again with Daniel chapter 7, where it says that he in verse 25 shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. All right. So once again, this is parallel to what Daniel also saw. All right. Verse seven, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome him. Again, verse 25 of chapter seven of Daniel is your reference. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation. So once again, proving that this beast will have a global reign. He will have a global kingdom. All right. And all who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. To those whose names were not written in the book of life. And this is really interesting. It says all of them who dwell on earth will worship him whose names were written and not written in the book of life. Very, very interesting. Okay. So let's talk about the length of his reign. Okay, so now that we we understand who he is, we're talking about his characteristics. We know that he comes from Satan. Um, His power is given to him from the dragon who is Satan himself. He has a global uh, governance that will cross boundaries of nations and cultures and tongues and tribes, which, you know, we're talking about tribes. We're talking about like races. You know, that's why John sees him coming out of the sea, okay? And he has uh, leaders, kings, 10 of them, all right, that will rule with him. And we'll probably go back into that a little bit later. Um, We'll talk about the 10 horns in a second. Um, So he will have these leaders that will also work for him, 10 of them, okay? And in addition to that, um, we also know that he will be a great orator, that he will be arrogant, he will speak against the Most High, and he will persecute the believers. He will persecute them, okay, and even put them to death, all right? So these are the characteristics of this beast, this Antichrist, in his system, all right? And so now, how long does this beast get to reign? How long is his time? Now, this is very, very, very um, uh, important that you all understand this because, because, okay, I need to tell you, because (laughs) we have been taught. Now, let me just first break this. And I don't want to go over it because we're going to talk about the rapture. All right. But we, we're, we'll talk about the rapture. That'll be a, a, a separate teaching. But we'll, we're going over the beast right now. But this will lead into 
a teaching regarding the rapture, the harpazo, the great catching away, uh, whether or not it's a true event, uh, what does it mean, um, who are the people that go if it actually does happen, is there a false rapture, we're going to talk about these things, okay? All right, but before we get into all of that, let's talk about the reign of Christ because we we look at and we've been for the most part taught that the reign of the Antichrist, the beast, is a seven-year period. And we are basing that off of one, one scripture, um, which is Daniel chapter 9. In fact, let's go there. We're going to talk about Daniel. We're going to read real quick. Daniel chapter 9, um, verse 27. All right. Daniel 9, 27. Let's go back over there. So it says that then he... He being this beast, all right, that Daniel was talking about, and actually the person who is talking to him in chapter nine is the angel of the Lord who comes and gives him very specific details about an understanding, I should say not so much details, but revelation, very specific revelations of his visions, okay? So, and a time frame in addition to that. So the angel of the Lord is talking to Daniel in verse in chapter nine. And at verse 27, he says, and then he, again, this he is this, this pseudo Christ leader. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring it in to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, shall one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Okay, so let's talk about that because that's a very important thing, important scripture, all right? So because of this one verse and one chapter, um, we believe and we have been taught, the majority of us, okay, um, that the tribulation, as we like to call it, all right, we're going to talk about even that title, the tribulation, which is equivalent to the reign of the beast, is a seven-year period. Now, where do we get the seven years from? Well, it's because um, it's because uh, the the measurement of time that is given in Daniel is based on weeks. And one week represents a, a seven-year period, okay? And that is accurate, all right? So I just want to make sure that you understand that that is accurate as far as the time frame is concerned of it one week equaling seven years. There's no dispute on what that meant, okay? So interestingly, the angel of the Lord tells Daniel that he, again, he, being the Antichrist, the pseudo-Christ, will make a covenant with many for one week. Now, I want to just make sure that we understand that scripture, okay? Because there's a lot of different things, and I, I talk, I've talked to a lot of people. I've trained a lot of people over the years. I've trained pastors. I've helped people start ministries and churches throughout the years. And typically, when we talk about this seven-year agreement, it is typically something that we believe as to be a, a covenant, a peace treaty. That's the common word that has been used. That is a peace treaty with Israel. And it's is, is um, Muslim 
or Islamic nations that surrounding it. Okay, so that is only partially true. <laughs> and we're basing this again on the scriptures and not our imaginations or our assumptions. Okay. All right. So it is partially true that yes, yes, um, the covenant will be for seven years. Okay. It will be set for seven years. And it will include Israel because um, in Daniel chapter nine, when the angel of the Lord is talking to Daniel and giving him this interpretation of everything that's going to take place, he's talking about the people, your people being Judah, the Jews. Okay. And we know that um, in 1948, uh, Israel was reestablished as a nation. They called it Israel. That was the name they gave to it. Um, later on, they captured, uh, recaptured Jerusalem and the Six Day War, and now, as of uh, two years ago, um, is I mean, excuse me, Jerusalem was verbally declared as the capital of Israel. But it's in a sense we can joke and say it was always the capital of Israel. It never it's been that way since the Old Testament. But nevertheless. The fact of the matter is, is that if we're talking about Jerusalem, then we're talking about Israel. Whenever you see Jerusalem, which we see it also in the book of Revelation, the city, Jerusalem, the great city, um, it is referencing not just that city, but the nation of Israel, because the times have changed. And, and you have to understand that back in the biblical times, things were boundaries were listed uh, differently. They were based on tribes. They were based on provinces and kingdoms and not, you know, states and counties and countries like we do today. OK, so it was a little bit different. So the wording is a little bit off. OK, and it redraws the boundaries, so to speak, or the borders, so to speak, of the 21st century. Nevertheless, we know that the covenant that this beast makes is going to involve the Jewish people, which is today modern Israel. OK, and it is going to be for seven years, one week. But we are finding that somewhere in the middle of that week, there's a break in that covenant or what the break is, is that he will bring it into sacrifice offering. I find that part to be very interesting. Again, we're talking about facts and scripture. That's what this teaching is about. Right. And I'm challenging you to get into your word and see it for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. Um, the interesting thing is that after Israel or Jerusalem, I should say, was destroyed uh, again for the second time in 70 AD by the Romans. Right. And they set the, the, the temple on fire and destroyed it. And that land to, you know, had multi uh, multiple uh, people come and live there in and out after that for centuries, for centuries, for 1900 years, nearly um, until once again, it was recognized as a nation once again um, in 1948. But the point is, is this, once that temple, that second temple uh, that was rebuilt after uh, the, they, the Jewish people came out of Babylon, um, we're talking about during the time of Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, Zechariah, 
Um, all of those people were around at that time. Uh, the, the, you know, Cyrus gives uh, the command to allow the Jews, and not all of, not all of them left, uh, but a good a good portion of them left to go and rebuild the temple. And then, of course, um, then it goes through all of these different points because then uh, the Medo Persians turn get overthrown by Greece, and then. Um, we're talking about Alexander the Great, and then his kingdom is divided when he's killed, and or he should. Well, they, there's a dispute of whether or not he was murdered, but he dies at a very a young age. I believe it was like 32 or something to that effect. Then his kingdom is divided, and then we go into the time of the Maccabees, which is Antiochus Epiphany and his rule, and then the Jews are prevented uh, from. Um, worshiping God or observing the feast or the Sabbath or any of that. And then there is this, um, this, we're going to talk about Antiochus a little bit further and I don't want to go too much into that. And then Herod Antipas comes in, or excuse me, Herod the Great comes in first and he basically expands and beautifies this temple, um, that was rebuilt, uh, with, by Zerubbabel and in Jeshua, the high priest, um, during, after the, the exile, after they come out of exile, and then he expands it, and he makes it beautiful, and he got Solomon's porch, and all this stuff, but then it gets all burnt down again, okay, in 70 AD, once again, it gets, so after that, uh, when it was destroyed, which Jesus prophesied, by the way, when he walks into Jerusalem, um, on what people call today as Palm Sunday, uh, roughly about six days before he's put to death. Um, and he predicts that it's going to happen. It's, you know, he says there's not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And that prediction came true uh, roughly about 40 years afterwards with, with Rome burn it down. So the point is, is that when that happened, the sacrifices ceased. There were no more sacrifices. The interesting thing, and I know that many of you that are listening to this teaching tonight, you probably already know this, but the interesting thing is that the sacrifices had remained obsolete all this time until about two, two years ago. And roughly about two years ago, they began sacrificing again in Jerusalem. In fact, they had another one, I believe, this year um, in 2020 for Passover. But they had one, I believe, during Hanukkah uh, at the end of 2019. So they they have resumed, they're beginning to resume the sacrifices once again. So, so that should tell you the season in which we're in. Because all this time from 70 AD to about a couple of years ago, the sacrificing and offerings had become obsolete. There was there was no Sanhedrin. Um, there was no talks about the rebuilding of a temple until a couple years ago. All right. So very interesting, interesting facts here. So we know that by the time this pseudo Christ slash Antichrist slash beast comes into power and confirms this covenant, which we, we believe is a covenant agreement, a peace agreement, okay, that at the time, the Jewish people or the Israelites would have resumed their sacrifice and their offerings, which is very significant. OK, so let's talk about something else in this. So here's the other thing. 
It says he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. So for most of us, we think of a peace treaty between Israel and, you know, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iran, um, Libya, Egypt, you know, the surrounding nations. But this is not necessarily true because it doesn't say how many people he makes a covenant with. I find this to be very, very interesting and very powerful at the same time because it says he will make a covenant with many. Many can be two. Many can be 40. Many can be a 100. We don't know. It can be, in fact, the many covenant for one week could actually be an entire global priest treaty, saints. That's the part that we're not sure about. And so when we're told that it's a peace treaty only between Israel and its surrounding countries, that is not what is indicated here. It says he will make a covenant with many, many, all right? So there will be many people involved. Yes, I'm pretty sure it will include the Arabs, but it can also be a whole lot of other people. It can be the European countries. It can be the Western culture. It can be Latin America. It can be Russia. It is many, all right? And we understand that the covenant that is made is for one week, which equals seven years, okay? But in the middle, it says He's going to break something. He's going to end something. There's going to be a shift. Now, and when we look at one week, one week is seven days, okay? So the middle of the week, if we were looking at a Gregorian calendar of Sunday through Saturday, the middle of the week would be like a Wednesday, right? That's the half point. The half point, you've got three days that have gone and three days to go, right? Middle, we call it hump day. <laughs> so the middle of the week would be on Wednesday, so to speak, okay? The fourth day. But when we take seven and we divide it into half, we come up with what? 3.5, a little bit more mathematics here. So there you have a three and a half year period. So something takes place where the covenant is broken, all right? And something terrible happens because it continues or the angel of the Lord continues and says, and on the wing of abomination shall one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So it is what we call the abomination that makes one desolate. And this is something that um, Jesus himself also references in Matthew chapter 24, okay? And it's actually in verse 20, 15. So you guys can either write that down or we can go, but I'm gonna read it real quick. Jesus references it himself. And again, Matthew 24, verse 15, he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads it, let them understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field 
not go back to get his clothes, but woe unto those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as the world has not seen since the beginning of time until this time, nor shall ever be. All right, now I'm going to stop there. Again, that's Matthew 15. I read that 15 through 21, not Matthew 15, excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 21. All right. So one of the things I want to debunk is a theory that is out there, believe it or not, that is amongst a lot of the church evangelicals that say um, that the 70 weeks. Now, I want you to understand that the interpretation of Daniel chapter nine is referencing about the 70 weeks. When you back up into verse 26, it, it begins to talk about that. OK, so. There is speculation amongst evangelicals. I mean, everybody has these different sects that believe different things, okay? So I want to call out the things that are not true because that's what this teaching is about, all right? And they say that the 70 weeks of Daniel has already been completed, okay? So this is not true because if the set and, and so let me go back. When was it completed? Let me let me make sure I, I cover that. They believe that it was completed before Christ was even born because the abomination that makes one desolate, or as we call in short term, the abomination of desolation, was fulfilled, which was that 70th feet, with the rain and the fall of Antiochus Epiphanes. And again, Antiochus Epiphanes you have to go and do research in. And the reason why is because the account of the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes is in the book of Maccabees. And Maccabees, which is an actual accurate historic account, historical account, was a book that was not included in the 66 books of what became later known as the King James Bible. Okay. And they decided not to add it for whatever reason. But Maccabees is an accurate historic account um, because Antiochus Epiphanes is an actual historic figure that ruled um, during what the Jews call the Dark Ages, okay? The time of no light, all right? I, I like to call it the gap between Malachi and Matthew, which was approximately about 400 years. They actually call it that because it was a time where there was no voice of any prophets. It was like a disconnect with God. In fact, after the minor prophets um, came into play, so to speak, Amos and Malachi, Haggai, Micah, all of those, when that was done, um, Malachi actually being the last prophetic voice that was recorded, and I want to point that out because the Old Testament is not necessarily in uh, in proper order. Let me say that, okay? Um, it's it's not in order as far as the years are concerned. But Malachi, however, was the last recorded prophet, um, which ended what we call the Old Testament, and no voice was heard again for over three hundred years. You know, almost not quite 
400 years, or it, I think it was 400 years, forgive me, um, until actually John the Baptist comes on the scene. Okay, very powerful stuff. So that is why when John the Baptist, as we know him as John the Baptist, came up on the scene preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand and that people needed to repent and be baptized. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and paid him a visit and they wanted to know if he was Elijah because they were still looking at, because there was a promise that before the great and terrible day of the Lord would come, that God would send Elijah. Okay, so this is also why they believed he was Elias or Elijah, because there had been about 400 years. There was no prophetic voice within the land. But during that time, at some point in that time, was the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, okay, where he came in. And as you heard me say earlier, he stopped the sacrifices, prevented the Jews um, from uh, celebrating any of the feasts, from observing the Sabbath, from even reading the scriptures. Okay, and it was a very dark time for the Jewish people. He killed many Jews. He was demonically charged, demonically influenced. He was very pompous and arrogant. In fact, the name um, Epiphanes, his name, and that wasn't his birth name, by the way. The interesting thing is the title that was given to him, it literally means God manifested. So he even looked at himself as like this God-like figure, okay? And he was worshipped like a godlike figure. He was Greek. He was part of the, the breakup that happened after Alexander the Great um, uh, uh, unexpectedly died, okay? And, and his kingdom, his empire was broken up, but it was still during the rule of the Grecian rule um, during that season. And so, and so Antiochus, and you have to read up on him, and you can you can Google, you can Wikipedia, you can do all that, you can go to the library and look it up. Um, Antiochus was a very evil man. He was kind of a modern day Hitler, or a Hitler of old, I should say, um, at that time. So he he goes into the temple and he sets up um, pagan gods. He sets up this altar to Zeus, and he sacrifices a pig. So basically, he just decimates and defiles the temple. What he did in the temple was a complete and total abomination. Um, his end is met really miraculously. God actually intervenes. But there's a small group led by a man by the name of Jason and the Maccabees who go in and they overthrow him. So again, you can read that in your own time and do some research, but because that was not included in the 66 books, you can actually go and look up uh, or even get an online copy, if not an actual order, um, a, a copy of the book of Maccabees, okay? And for you to understand the story, it's actually where they also get the celebration of Hanukkah from or the Festival of Lights, which is only mentioned one time in the Bible, and that was in the Gospel of John, where Jesus actually goes up to the temple at the time during the festival of light. So it was a, by the time Jesus comes into the world, it, the, the story of Hanukkah is, is honored and celebrated as the overthrow of Antiochus Epiphanes um, through the Maccabees. Okay. So you can go and look at that for yourself. All right. So going back to that, people believe it has been taught that they had, 
that the 70th week of Daniel was that prophecy was fulfilled and completed through Antiochus Epiphanes because of what he had did was an abomination of desolation. But the reason why we can prove that that is not true is one thing and one thing only, which is very, very, very simple. And that is the fact that Jesus himself references it in Matthew chapter 24, starting at 15, verse 15. He's telling them, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, then he tells them to run, to not, Go back to your house because that is the time of great tribulation. All right. So when does that great tribulation occur? It occurs in the middle of the week. That the middle of the week. So there's a breaking point, right? Three and a half years into the seven year covenant agreement with many. That's when he stops the sacrifices. That's when um, basically all hell breaks loose, okay? And so then this great tribulation that Jesus is referencing in 24th chapter of Matthew happens and occurs. And he's very specific as to how long it lasts. It, or excuse me, it is very specific. And that is what? Three and a half years. So again, going back to how long does the reign of this beast happen for how long is it it is three and a half years his debut and his reign of the whole earth see even though he makes a covenant for one week for seven year intention okay but his reign does not start the abomination of desolation the great tribulation does not start until the three, the middle point mark, the three and a half year mark. And we have multiple references of that. So we just saw that again. But when we go back, let's go back a little bit to Daniel chapter seven, uh, verse 25. What does it say at the 25th verse? Um, for the last, ver well, I'll just read the whole, the whole verse. So I'm not skipping. Uh, for he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Again, this is Daniel 7, 25. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. And I believe that times and law has to do too with him breaking that that uh, ability for them to have the sacrifices and, and the offerings, okay? Because that's part of the law. It's part of the Torah. And the saints shall be given into his hand for how long? For a time and times and a half a time, okay? And there's another um, measurement, time measurement that is used, okay? Which the time is referenced as one year, and then times is plural, meaning two, okay? And then a half of time. So when you add that together, it is three and a half years, all right? That's Daniel 7, 25. Then we just saw again in Daniel 9, 27, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. That's three and a half years. Okay, so let's go into Revelation that also confirms this, okay? Revelation chapter 12, let's start with 12, okay? or excuse me, not 12, 13, I apologize. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. And we read this. And he was giving, given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and was given authority to continue for what? For 42 months. 42 months is also three and a half years. We will see times, times and a half, okay? 42 months or also 1,260 days. That is all three and a half years. And you will see that in other references as to the two witnesses and also uh, the vision of the dragon and the woman um, in Revelation chapter 12, you will also find that same exact time frame, which we will go into later. But right now, I want you all to see that multiple times in both New and Old Testament or Old and New, whichever one, they are referencing that the great tribulation, as it is called, is a time of only three and a half years and not seven years. In fact, let me just put this out there as well. When we talk about the book of Revelation and in the 21 judgments that John talks about that was shown to him, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, right? There is nowhere in those chapters, okay, nowhere from chapter six, which is what um, it starts at, all the way through to the last chapter of Revelation, there's nothing that indicates that there is a seven-year period for that time frame. There is only three and a half years that is mentioned. In addition, I want to throw something else out there that may shock you. There is nowhere in the book of Revelation, because when we think of Revelation, we think of the word apocalypse, we think of the apocalypse, we think of the end times, we think of the tribulation, right? There is actually nowhere in the book of Revelation that even indicates that the 21 judgments that John talks about that was shown to him happens in the three and a half year period either. Now it could, but there's nothing that indicates such. All it talks about is the reign of this beast and what happens within that three and a half year or 42 month period, which involves two witnesses preaching and the woman who flees into the wilderness. That's all combined in the three and a half year period. OK, and we'll we'll come back to Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus talks about because it also is in reference to. Um, the vision that John sees in Revelation chapter 12 about the woman and the dragon, okay? So again, clearing this all up, it is a three and a half year period. We, we've talked about the beast, his characteristics, who gives him power. We understand who gives him power, right? Power comes from the dragon. His characteristics that he would be a great orator. He will have a global kingdom or global governance. He will have 10 leaders or kings that will be with him. And he will reign for three and a half years. And he will be given power to persecute, kill, overcome the saints of God. Okay. 
The last thing we're going to talk about in reference to the reign of the beast is where does he come from? That is a great question, right? Because that is another big question and, and lots of arguments that have been out there for a very long time. Now, this is where things get even more controversial about what I'm getting ready to teach you. OK, but again, I just encourage you to study it for yourself and go into the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you test the spirit with the spirit always. OK, don't just take my word for it. So where does this beast come from? So we're going to jump ahead into Revelation chapter 18, which is a very uh, significant book chapter because it talks about the story of the woman that rise up on the beast. And we're not going to talk about the woman, okay, which was called, has written across her head, Mystery Babylon. We're not going to talk about that just yet. But we're going to talk about the beast that she rides, okay? Because the beast that the woman rides upon is the same beast that we see in Revelation chapter 13 and in Daniel chapter 7, okay? So let's start at verse 7 of, again, Revelation chapter 18, starting at verse 7. And it says, but the angel said to me, this is John talking, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has what? Seven heads and ten horns. Same beast that John references, right, in chapter 13. We're also here, right? Same one. So upon this beast, there's this woman, okay? All right. So the beast, we know that the beast, his system, his governance, all right, the seven heads and the ten horns, all right, which represents the beast and his system, has a connection to this woman who is called Mystery Babylon. Let's continue in verse eight. The beast that you saw, this is the angel explaining to John who these people are, who it is, who what it is that he's seen, right? So pay attention. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on earth will marvel, be, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, we're going to come back to that, okay? We're going to come back to that because that's very significant. Let's go on. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other one has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Okay, let's just continue just to finish it off. The 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are on one mind and they will give power, their power and authority 
to the beast, okay? All right, so let's break this down. So let's go back. Tells them, why are you marveling, right? This woman, who's Mystery Babylon, who we're not going to talk about right just now, has city, is sitting on this scarlet beast that has seven heads and ten horns. Again, identical to Daniel and identical to John. The, or excuse me, the beast that John and Daniel see, okay? And so the angel tells him, first of all, he says, this beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Let's stop right there. Now did you listen to me. So when we look at a lot of the films, I just like to talk about Hollywood. You know, Hollywood loves to sensationalize everything. But then we've had things like Pure Flex. And we've got the Christian uh, directors and producers, movie producers out there. It's not all of them. But when there's a lot of movies out there um, going all the way back to The Thief in the Night. Some of you all are old enough to remember that. I know everyone is not going to know what I'm talking about. But The Thief in the Night series that came out in the 70s, my mother owned all of those VHS tapes. I watched them 100,000 times as a kid, okay? And the Omen series. Some of you guys are old enough to know about the Omen. I'm not talking about the remake. I'm talking about the ones that they started out in the 70s and completed in the 80s. I think it's like three or four parts to it where they had Damien, who was the Antichrist, okay? And then there were other movies that came out, the Tim LaHaye uh, series, the Left Behind series that they later made into movies. And then there's other movies like uh, Jerusalem Countdown and all of these different ones. I'm just throwing a lot of them out there. When, we, when the Antichrist, pseudo-Christ beast is portrayed in these movies, he is portrayed as someone who is European descent that is either from Italy um, or from the European Union. Um, and that's based on the fact that a lot of people believe that the, and we were taught for many years in the 20th century, not the 21st, that the Antichrist, Pseudo-Christ beast would be that of European descent because of what was called the revive of the Roman Empire, so to speak. Okay, so that is the reason why it wasn't a racist thing or anything like that. It was just because of they believed it would come from Rome. But here's the reason why he would not come from Rome. There are two reasons here. And it's going to that's why I wanted to talk about where does he come from? Number one, the reason why he will not come from Rome. I'm going to specifically talk about Rome is because of verse eight. It says the beast that you saw was and is not. You have to understand at that time when the book of Revelation was written, which was approximately 94 AD, okay? He was but is not. Well, who was ruling during that time? Rome. So at the time that, that John saw this between 89 and 94, they say he was exiled to the island of Patmos of roughly around 89 AD. They believe he wrote this somewhere about 94 AD. Okay. Rome was still in power. Nero, they were talking the first century church at that time that was being heavily persecuted by Rome. Rome was current. He was, it was the is at that time, if you're following me. But he says the beast you saw was 
and currently during that time is not. And will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So he could not be Roman. And he could not come from Rome because Rome was alive and powerful at that time. First clue. Second clue. Let's talk about going further down. He says, here is the mind that which has wisdom. This is verse nine. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the other one has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, the eighth king. And is of the seventh, of the seventh king or kingdom. Okay. I need you to understand this. So. The, he said, the seven heads or seven mountains and seven kings, the mountains and kingdoms. The angel says what? Five had already fallen. Five had never, five were gone. Their kingdoms were gone at that time. One currently was standing and one had not yet come. And that the beast that he saw even though he has an eighth kingdom, he comes from the seventh. Okay? I just want to make sure I'm repeating that slowly so everyone is following me with this. So, let's talk about the five that had fallen. There had been five kingdoms or empires. We call them today superpowers. All right. That had already come and gone by the time John was shown these visions. And there was one that was currently in power. So who were the five that had already come and gone? I'm going to tell you. The first empire that was known in the the developing world, which is now the ancient world, you and I all know, was Egypt. We still have the pyramids as proof of that. The first power, empire, superpower was Egypt. We can find that all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. When they even took the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, into captivity. Egypt ruled. Egypt had its pharaohs, but Egypt fell. The next empire that rose and kind of overlapped a little bit was the kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrians were, they were had, they had great military. They were feared. They were fierce. They terrorized. Because they had a powerful military. Okay? And the Assyrians or Assyria, they kind of merged over and overlap with the third kingdom because kind of sort of out of them came the third kingdom, which was Babylon. 
then they kind of broke off and then Babylon, which was former Mesopotamia, rose up and Babylon was the interesting thing about Babylon is that it wasn't one tribe or one culture. Babylon was an absorption of many provinces, tribes and cultures in Mesopotamia, what it was called back then Mesopotamia. Okay. And they kind of just grew and expand, expanded. And they were a great nation. But again, Babylon was not just of one tribe. It was multiple tribes, part of Syrian, part of um, Semitic, part um Sumerian, part the Chaldeans, um, and so on, and even part Jewish, because they took over and captured Judah and brought them in. And that's just a few. There was more than just that. So Babylon was huge. It was multinational and it had many tribes and many languages and tongues as well. And many gods on top of that. It's multi-religious as well, if you want to use that term. So the third and third powerful empire was Babylon, which, which was headed. It became its peak around 600 um, B.C., which was ruled by, it started off being ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. It, well, it didn't start off being ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. And that's another teaching for another time. Babylon, Babylon is actually from Babel. That's actually started with Nimrod and what we know as the Tower of Babel. But it was the same exact area of Mesopotamia. But it reached its peak around 600 BC with the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. All right. So that was number three. That was succeeded by the Medo-Persian Empire, which was prophesied uh, by Daniel um, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he had of the golden statue in Daniel chapter two. And you can go and look at that and reference that in your own time. And Babylon represented the head of gold. Well, they were overthrown by the Medo-Persians who then were taken over by Greece which is where you get Alexander the Great, okay? Medo-Persia was uh, Cyrus, um, King Darius, even Xerxes. Um, some of you all know that the story of Esther, all of that was revolved around that Medo-Persian type reign era. But that was superseded by the Greeks, which started out with the one and only Alexander the Great until his reign again was abruptly ended by a sudden death and then his kingdom was broken up. So we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia is one, okay, it's not two, and then Greece. Greece was overthrown by Rome. So the five that had fallen that the angel is talking about had been who had come to power and had fallen, okay? They had come and gone, was Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, and Greece, right? Following me? He said five have fallen. He said they are also, verse 10, again, chapter 18, verse 10, there are also seven kings, five have fallen. One is, who was current during the time of the writing of the book of Revelation? It was Rome. That was the one that was current. 
And then he said, yet another has not come. So number seven had not yet come. And he tells us that the beast that was and was currently not in that season was going to create his eighth kingdom, which is the world governance that we talked about or the what people call the new world order, or the one world order. But he would come from the seventh empire or superpower. Okay? So because of that, which is very specific, and if you want to uh, back up the kingdoms, you can easily go and do research on Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. It fell in those orders. And you will find that's a historically accurate account in that particular order. Those were the five. And then, of course, we know Rome came into the picture after that. It is biblically accurate and historically accurate. Okay? And you can go do the research for yourself on that. So, But there was a seventh kingdom that had not yet taken place that was coming. Now, before we go down into that seventh kingdom, let's talk about going back again, why the Antichrist slash Pseudochrist slash beast cannot come from Rome because Rome was ruling during this time. And it was a very clear indicator that this beast was not going to be a part of the sixth kingdom nor the kingdom that currently was at that time, which was still, which both equaled Rome. So he will not be Roman, but that he would come from the seventh superpower. Now let's talk about the seventh superpower because that is very interesting. We, after Rome came and left, right? There were many uh, empires. There were several. Let's just put it that way. One of the greatest ones was probably the Ottoman Empire, which is the Ottoman Turks Empire that finally fell roughly around World War One, around that time. But prior to that, the Ottoman Turks Empire, they had taken over pretty much all of the Middle East. Very interestingly, they had taken over uh, everywhere from um, the southern parts of what we call the European countries all the way into the Middle East around Egypt and what we know today as Israel, all the way into northern Africa, okay? The, the Ottoman Turks uh, empire was huge and massive, but they were eventually defeated. In fact, the Ottoman empire uh, uh, retreated and in, in, in shrunk into what is now currently known as Turkey, believe it or not. So that's where we get Ottoman Turks terms, terminology from this. Again, it's all historic accounts. You can go look for yourself. Then there was the, the empire of Britannia, which started off small. They were kind of like looked at as some barbarians back in the day. And Britannia kind of came into play around the time of Rome as Rome was heading towards its end. Britannia had rose up to power, and eventually as Rome kind of fell off and dissipated, Britannia came up and rose to power. So Britannia took over what is now known as the western part of Europe, and now what is called the Isle of Britain, or now the UK, the United Kingdom. And so we have two very powerful ones. 
But what are we talking about here? Why are they not from the seventh? Because they have come and they have fallen. Okay? And there was one that was greater than both of those. There is a kingdom or superpower that succeeded more than Britannia, which is Britain now. And that succeeded more and lasted longer, or shall I say more so succeeded more, was more powerful than the Ottoman Turks Empire. And do you want to know who that superpower is? It is none only than the United States of America. We are the superpower. We are the current superpower. We have been the number one superpower since World War II. And we have conquered more than the Ottoman Empire and Britannia Empire or Britain Empire conquered believe it or not. Now, have we conquered more than Rome? I'm not sure. But we have, there is the only other empire that has been equally powerful, if not more powerful than us, is Rome. In other words, we are the most powerful kingdom since Rome. Let's put it that way. That is facts. I'm only giving you facts here. So we would make the perfect, um, fit the perfect description of being the seventh superpower or king or kingdom that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 18. So that being said, if you agree to that, because I know there are people like, oh, he's going to come from Rome, he's going to come from Turkey, he's going to come from, but it says that that seventh power is a, it has to be equivalent to the five, or shall I say the six that were previous. Again, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And it would have to be current in the season of the Antichrist. It would have to currently be a superpower, just like Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and Rome were. So it would have to be current in the time of the life of the beast. It would have to currently be a king with the kingdom, a superpower, a, a, an empire, a powerful empire. And neither Ottoman Turks, which takes over for Turkey in the Middle East, and neither is Britain above what is currently the greatest or most power considered to be the most powerful nation on earth, which is the United States of America. And that is, again, my friends, just simple facts. So if that is the case, then we are told, according to Revelation chapter 18, that the beast, his system, comes from the seventh. It says he is of the seventh, but he creates an eighth kingdom. Now, remember, I told you to take those notes from Daniel chapter seven, right? Where it talks about he saw, or excuse me, chapter, yes, chapter seven, where he talks about seeing those 10 horns and then three get uprooted, which leaves seven. And then there's this little horn that grows up and he's number eight. 
Remember that? And I said, remember that. Remember this, that 10 minus 3 equals 7 plus 1 is 8. Because here we find it again in Revelation chapter 18, that he, the beast, his, the Antichrist, the pseudo-Christ, will have an eighth kingdom. The eighth kingdom is what we would consider to be the one world order. But his eighth kingdom will come out from him being produced out of the seventh. So my friends, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, that lets you know, ladies and gentlemen, I should say, that should let you know that what? That we, we as in the United States of America, we produce the Antichrist. And I know that is something that is going to blow all of your minds away and everyone who loves to look at America as this just godly nation. And not to say that America has not been used by God over the decades because it has. We produced some of the greatest missionaries out of this country to go forth into the nations, translating the word of God into multiple languages. And going into the corners of the earth to preach the gospel to many. But in the 21st century, the United States of America has become a house of demons. And perversions and lust. And it rules the whole world and such. It leads the whole world and such. And so it does not surprise me one bit that the Antichrist or pseudo-Christ, would come out of the United States of America. And from there, he will produce his own eighth kingdom that, as the scripture tells us, will devour the entire world. Okay, so that is the explanation of where the beast comes from. Again, that's Revelation chapter 18, verses 7 through 13. Okay. And we know again that he will have his 10 horns, uh, just going back to verse 12 real quick. The 10 horns, which you saw are 10 Kings, which have not received, who have not received their kingdom as of yet. So again, those 10 horns did not exist at the time or 10 horns representing 10 Kings. Those 10 kingdoms or rulers, kings or rulers or presidents and prime ministers. Listen, I have to say that because it's different today. We don't necessarily rule by, um, you know, systems of kings and queens. We are we now have presidents and prime ministers and czars. Some of them have. We do have a couple of kings and princes that are out there. But for the most part, most nations have presidents and prime ministers. Okay, so the 10 that will work with the the beast did not currently exist at the time that John had this vision. But he says they will they will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So the king, the beast will have these rulers, these 10 rulers, these 10 nations, even possibly that will rule with him, okay? And together with 10 nations, and I'm just using the word nations, with 10 nations, they will rule the entire world. 
these 10 leaders, they could be 10 leaders of 10 nations. Um, some people believe that the countries and nations would be broken up into 10 sections. And um, there's some some paper uh, work proof of that, that that's a plan of that the United Nations even has for a near future um, discussion. So that's a strong possibility that we could be broken up into 10 sections or uh, 10 provinces or what have you. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out. However, we do know that however it is broken up, there will be 10 leaders over 10 uh, areas, if not countries themselves, that will work hand in hand with the beast and the new world order. Okay. All right, so that concludes our teaching on the beast and his reign. And then we will move on to the rapture. This is Mina Lee Jones with Faithful Walk Healing Ministries. And I would like to personally thank you for supporting our ministry and for sharing these audio teachings. My prayer is that these podcasts will challenge your heart, mind, and soul and encourage you to study the Word of God and to seek a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Our website is www.faithfulwalkhealingministries.com where you can find more information about our ministry, upcoming conferences, and links to our social media accounts. I would also like to invite you to join our interactive online Bible study that takes place every Thursday night starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can join us by calling 712-770-4852 and the access code is 607-594. I look forward to hearing from you soon. God bless you and shalom.